Amen. Uh, please invite someone to come to Easter service. Uh, that's a pretty uh, fun service. As you know, we do a community sunrise service. That one's at 7 a.m., uh, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. And then after that service is over, we do our normal services here, 8.45 and 11 a.m. Uh, this year, we just got the Presbyterian Church on board for that community uh, sunrise service. So that's pretty awesome. So we have the Baptists, we have the Presbyterians, and we have a couple four-square churches um, and uh, maybe possibly some Lutherans as well, uh, part of that service. So that's going to be out in the field at the edge uh, at Easter, 7 a.m. in the morning. I would encourage you to come and then come on over here as well. I have a couple of updates from our missionaries. Um, this one is from our missionaries, Ryan and Tamara McIntyre in Papua New Guinea, and they asked if I would read this letter to you. So I told them, of course, I will read this letter to you. So here it goes. Hello from Papua New Guinea. Oh, and by the way, I might mispronounce some of these words, but please, um, like you could do better. Like you could do better. No. <laughs> so they go, hello from Papua New Guinea. Wow, do we ever miss you guys. It's a great encouragement to know that we have a home church that's praying for us and encouraging us through Facebook, messaging, and email. Thank you for taking the time to reach out to us and most importantly, to pray for us. As you know, recently we have experienced many difficult days and sickness. You have prayed for us and we are happy to share with you that God has brought about healing to our family. Tamara is feeling back to normal. We never did get a diagnosis on why she was so ill at the beginning of 2017, but we know that God is more powerful than whatever it was. Logan had a long fight with a skin infection that kept him out of the nursery. After nearly three weeks, he was able to return to the nursery. This was a hard time for us as one parent had to miss class and language learning time to care for him. We really loved our time with him, but keeping up with our fellow students was a challenge for sure. God's grace has been sufficient for us, and he has encouraged us through these back-to-back illnesses to look for his light and his joy around us, not to stick our head in the ground and see darkness all around us, as our flesh would like us to do. I think that's great. One thing we would do while we were quarantined with Logan is listen to the Talk Peace in Audio Bible. And the Talk Peace in, that's the language that they're working with. Uh, while we have learned a lot of Talk Peace in, listening to the Audio Bible is still very hard to understand. It was yet another great example as to why it's important to have a Bible you can clearly understand. And again, they are Bible translators uh, with Wycliffe. Our schedule here is full to the brim. We are in class from 8 to noon and again from 2 to 4. Three nights a week we have evening events. On Tuesdays we provide child care for another family. On Wednesdays we go to fellowship group. Thursday nights we spend with a local host family where we learn language and culture through experience. The weekends involve church and an outing as well as cooking over a fire in our huskuk, which is a outdoor little fire grate. Um, our free time is full of homework, but we squeeze in fun and family time when we can. Our family has made a habit of gathering around a lantern before bed to share a Bible story. What we are thankful for from that day, oh, we share a Bible story, what we're thankful from that day, and then ending in prayer. Some nights it is short as we're exhausted, but other nights we have long conversations about our day, God's goodness, and the things that we are learning about Melanesian culture. Cassidy and Kyla, they're two girls, they go to school each day in a schoolhouse on the POC property. There are 16 school-age students. They spend their days doing some academics, but most of their time is focused on language and culture learning. For language and culture learning, a Papua New Guinean teacher comes to join the class. Last week, Cassidy was nominated to give a thank you speech to Tisa Stephen for the time that he had invested. Overall, the girls are doing very well. They are enjoying their time with all the other kids that are here. In just two weeks, 
weeks, our family will be off the grid, living in a village for one month. For village living, each family or unit at POC will go to a different village. We are equally excited and nervous for village living, and we appreciate your prayers even before we leave as we begin to prep. Thank you again for your prayers. For more details and pictures, check out our new newsletter. In his love, Ryan, Tamara, Cassidy, Kyla, and Logan. So thank you, church, for continuing to pray for them. And aren't you just so darn proud of them? And if you guys are watching this live from PNG, we love you guys and bless you guys. Amen. Jacob Bears, our missionary in Ghana. As I told you last week, they're going to be doing a five-day revival starting March 25th up uh, north. Um, in Kumasi, but today at church, he said, church was awesome today. We started a series on the Holy Spirit, and it was super powerful. We had four people come that had never come before, which was sweet, and we found a coach. Listen to this. We found a coach for the soccer team who will take them to a full-size field every Tuesday and Friday starting this week. I'll take pictures of all the kids in jerseys. If you remember, we shipped a bunch of jerseys over there. Sunday school attendance is up, and you can just feel people growing. I don't know how else to word it, but that this week has been ever encouraging for me. Me, Amos, Sabina, Charity, and DeGraff, so five different Ghanaians, they have committed to praying every night for for two hours from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Yes, you read that correctly. Every night. It's been challenging for me when I feel lazy or like I don't really want to join. But every time I crucify my flesh, that sounds so intense, it fills me up big time. They take prayer very seriously over here. So keep on praying for Jacob as well. And it is exciting. Isn't it exciting to see what God is doing uh, through these individuals? Well, today we're in 3 John. Um, We covered 2 John last week. 3 John today. And then next week we start our Easter series, The Great Exchange. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Third John's a tough one, right? It's like a page long in some of our Bibles. So if you're wrestling through your pages, I will not judge you. Um, again, it's a hard one to find. Um, just keep on. You have to turn slowly. If you turn too fast, you will miss it. I'll give you a little bit of time there. All right. You guys there? Third John? Smartphone, it's easy, right? All right, here it is. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly with the brothers when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That kind of reminds you of last week, doesn't it? When we talked about walking in the truth and having the truth inside of you. Verse 5, Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, the name of Jesus, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, like these brothers, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, John says, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, taking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that, this Diotrephes gentleman, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Verse 11, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. 
Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil, they have not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony about Demetrius, and you know that our testimony, it is true. I had much to write to you, but I'd rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. All right. So there's three main guys mentioned in this letter. We got Gaius, and he's the man that John is writing this letter to. We got Diotrephes. Diotrephes seems to have some kind of authority in the church. And then you got Demetrius. And we're going to look at these three guys. We're going to look at them in order and see what John has to say about each one. So first there's Gaius. Gaius, whom John says that he loves in truth. John says that he prays that all may go well with him, that he may be in good health as it goes well with his soul. Now John also mentions some brothers. And these brothers, they were sent to Gaius and then they returned back to John. And these men have a testimony about Gaius, right? They testify about Gaius and it says that they had good things to say to John about Gaius. Gaius was walking in the truth. Again, we've talked a lot about that, walking in the truth. And Gaius walking in the truth, by the way, for John, like nothing compares to Gaius walking in the truth. Knowing that one of his children is walking in the truth, there's nothing better, right? He even says that in verse 4. He says, you know what? He goes, I have no greater joy, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, if you remember 1 John, 2 John, he kept on talking, walking in the truth. We said this over and over and over again, that you would remember who you are, right? Remember whose you are, right? You don't want to be deceived. There's these liars. There's these people that are deceiving. There's these people that have that spirit of the Antichrist. And John, he's aware, right? He knows. He sees these people. He's rubbed shoulders with these people. He knows they're out there. And so when he considers those people, but then he hears this good report about Gaius, you can only imagine the joy he has because I'm sure there's plenty of men that seem to be walking in the truth who are no longer walking in the truth. But here is this brother in Christ that is walking in the truth. And for John, again, no greater joy than, hearing, than to hear that his child is walking in the truth. It reminds me of something that happened to me recently uh, with the Bible app. Anyone have the Bible app here at the church? If you have a smartphone, get the Bible app. It's, it's just great. And you can read all the different scriptures and, and you can find Third John a lot quicker. <laughs> but <laughs> on the app, you can follow reading plans. For instance, uh, many of us do the Life Journal reading plan. And what's neat about the app is after you do your plan for that day, uh, it actually posts it on the app and you can have friends on the app and your friends can see that, hey, you know, Dan finished his reading plan uh, reading today and, and you can comment on it or you can, you know, say that you liked that or, or what, you know, those types of things. Well, there was a gentleman in Spokane who honestly was one of the greatest friends that I had while I was in Spokane. A huge encouragement. Right? He was just that guy that always encouraged me. Uh, he seemed to be volunteering all the time at the church, uh, without exaggeration, 10 to 15 hours of volunteering every week. He was just a huge part of what God was doing in that community. An amazing man. But then I left Spokane. I left Spokane now. It's been seven years. It's crazy to think about that it's been that long. But seven years ago, I left Spokane. And, and in seven years, don't you know, a lot can happen in seven years, right? A lot of good things can happen in seven years, but a lot of pretty tough and hard and even bad things can happen in seven years. And so when I hear about someone who used to be with the Lord, you know, close to the Lord, walking in the truth, 
but then they aren't walking with the Lord anymore, it breaks my heart. Right? Have you ever had that happen before? It's just, it's a troubling experience. It does. It breaks your heart. And yet here, I have my Bible app, and I want you to know, almost every time I open up that app, I get a notification that this man is reading his Bible. Every day, faithfully reading his Bible. In fact, there's two men who are extremely instrumental in my life, who are now friends on that app, and they're over in Spokane. I just see the faithfulness of them reading the Word every day. And I tell you, church, talk about joy. Right? Have you had that experience before? Just talk about joy. When you know that your brothers, when you know that your sisters, they're still walking with the Lord. Even with the ups and the downs and the happy and the sad of life, they are still walking with the Lord. And it brings a tremendous joy. And there's a joy because, again, we understand life, life can get hard, right? And, and there's a thousand opportunities, a thousand upon a thousand opportunities for us, excuses, I'd say, to walk away from God. There's opportunities for us to be deceived. There's opportunities for us to make poor choices. There's opportunities for us to sin, not just to sin, but to dive into the pool of sin and live in sin. There's so many ways that Satan comes in. He tries to take us away from walking in the truth. But then when you hear this report, the good report of your brother, sister, walking with Jesus, walking in the truth, it fills you up. So that's Gaius. Remember Gaius. Life fills John with joy. And John gives him an amazing compliment. He says, beloved Gaius, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Now there's also a man named Diotrephes. Poor Diotrephes. He's just having a really hard time walking in the light. Uh, yeah, John doesn't have a lot of good things to say about Diotrephes. As John felt this incredible joy when he thought of Gaius, he pretty much thinks everything the opposite when he considers Diotrephes. This is how he describes this man. John says, he likes to put himself first. He does not acknowledge our authority. He talks wicked nonsense against me and then he adds like just like kind of the turn of the screwdriver he says and not content with that diotrephes refuses to welcome the brothers so gaius he's like yeah come on in welcomes them loves them sounds like gaius even supported them diotrephes he's done the opposite he's done even worse anyone he says anyone who tries to help these brothers diotrephes comes in he puts a stop to it not only does he put a stop to it what does he do? He kicks them out of the church. Albert Barnes, he writes an interesting commentary on Diotrephes. He says, we may see from this epistle the evil of having one troublesome man in the church. Such a man, by his talents, his address, his superior learning, his wealth, or by his arrogance, pride, self-confidence, may control a church and effectively hinder its promoting the work of religion. The church referred to by the Apostle John would have done its duty well enough if it had not been for one ambitious and worldly man. He says, No one can properly estimate the evil which one such man can do, nor the calamity which comes upon a church when such a man places himself as its head. As a man of wealth, talents, and of learning may do great good if his heart is right, so may a man similarly endowed do proportionate evil if his heart is wicked. Yet how often, he says, has the spirit which actuated Diotrephes prevailed in the church? And it's true, right? And, and that attitude, that spirit, it is still very much alive 
and well. I was talking to a local pastor in town this week, and he was sharing about this individual that he said, man, this person, they're just out to get me. He said, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what I do. They're just opposed against everything, right? And he says, on top of that, this person is speaking negative, harmful, hurtful things about me. It's amazing, again, the power that one negative person can have. On the Ghana trip, this, the most recent Ghana trip, I, I took the team and gathered them together on the second or third day. And, and again, they did great. They were amazing. But I told them, I said, each one of you is more powerful than you realize. Each one of you has the power to take this thing down. By your attitude, by your actions, by your words, you have the power to destroy this trip. Now, at some level, we understand that God is bigger, right? And whatever the enemy means for evil, God turns it for his good. We believe that. But even though Diotrephes' evil was ultimately overcome by God's plans and purposes, Diotrephes had a wonderful, great, powerful impact. And it was all really negative. And it was all done by one man. One man. In our context, our context today, in this church, one person can do a lot of damage. In Diotrephes' case, it got so bad that John says, if I come, remember what he says? He says, if I come, if I visit, I'm going to have to bring up what Diotrephes is doing. Right? I'm going to have to confront this man. I'm going to have to confront him on the things that he's saying. I'm going to have to confront him on the things that he's doing. So we got Gaius, and then we got Diotrephes. And for us this morning, it's a little letter, but it's a powerful letter. I think it gives us the opportunity to ask a pretty serious question. Ask it of yourself. In my day-to-day life, am I more like Gaius or am I more like Diotrephes? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer for you. But just consider that. Am I more like Gaius? Am I more like Diotrephes? Another way to think about this, if John was to write a letter about you... What would he say, right? What would be in the letter? Would it be about your love for others or maybe your hate for others? Would it be about the life and the joy that you bring into situations, into environments, into rooms? Or would it be more about the division that you bring? Would it be about your willingness to go out of your way to help others or maybe your willingness to hurt others? Would it be about your passion to support the work of the ministry, to support and welcome others who are working for the Lord? Or would it be about your passion to hamper the work of the ministry? It's a great question to ask yourself. If John wrote about me, what would he say? So consider your life. Consider your life. First, consider your life in this place, in the context of this church, LifeSpring Church. Consider your conversations. Consider the way you speak to people. Consider the way you treat people. But then the reality is life isn't all lived right here in this building. So take it out of this context into the greater context of our community. How are you? Who are you, right? Who are you when you're out there, when you're in the grocery store? You know what I'm talking about. You're in the checkout line. The sign clearly says... A 15-item limit, but you've counted, and the person in front of you has 20. How are you, right? How do you behave? How do you act? Are you huffing and puffing? Are you showing your annoyance and displeasure? Or are you exhibiting patience? Maybe even a little bit of compassion. How are you at Ranchitos? If you don't like Ranchitos, how are you at Puerto Vallarta? If that's too expensive for you, how are you at Taco Time? Right? <laughs> Just consider who you are in these places. Are, are you tipping your waiter? Are you throwing in a little extra to be a blessing? 
Or are you just going home so you can go home and, and, and get on the internet and write that negative review on Yelp or negative review on TripAdvisor? I, I don't know if you guys saw this this week or heard this story, but there was a lady who asked the waiter to remove a mill from her bill. I don't know if you saw that. And why did she ask him to remove the, the, the mill from the bill? Because there was hair in the mill. The waiter, he refused. And so she threatened to post this bad review on TripAdvisor. And that's exactly what she did. She got home. She posted this terrible review. You know, you can't do zero stars. So she gave the lowest she could give. She gave one star review. Well, then the restaurant came out and they released some footage, some closed circuit TV footage that showed that the lady had actually pulled out one of her own hairs, put it in the dish, stirred it up, and then complained to the waiter. What would John write about her? <laughs> right? What would John write about you? What would John write about me? In your day-to-day life, are you more a Gaius or more a Diotrephes? But then if you remember, John mentions a third guy. Third guy, his name was Demetrius. Demetrius, by the way, if you're considering a name for a baby boy, Demetrius is a stellar name. Listen to what he says about Demetrius. In fact, I think what he writes about Demetrius is one of the best things that anybody could write about another person. Listen to what he says. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And then John says, you know what? And we've seen it. Right? We know this guy. We add our testimony. And you know our testimony is true. It's just this amazing praise for this man, for Demetrius. A good testimony from everyone. Now let's be honest. In life, you're not going to be able to please everybody. Don't try to do that. You'll fail and you'll also probably have a nervous breakdown. It's impossible. But in some way, Demetrius... For the most part, it looks like people have nothing but good things to say about him. Demetrius. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know a Demetrius? Any Demetriuses in your life? Some people in this church, I think that I would say, yeah, you're a Demetrius. I mean, have you met Andrew Andrus? Andrew Andrus. Like he is just the epitome of a Demetrius. I was thinking about Angie. Have you met Angie? Just what a sweetheart of a lady. Just a wonderful Wonderful human being. Jonathan Folsom. I was thinking about Jamie and Tessie as they were singing last week. Demetrius's. I was thinking about Mike and Gaylene. I was thinking about Dave and Diane Jordan. I was thinking about Katie Potaski. Just Demetrius's. And I was moved this week, Jared. I was stirred by the Spirit. Like it was just this fire that began to be lit within me where I was like, you know what? I want to be a Demetrius. I want to be a Demetrius. And I want to say this to you, church, by the power of God in you, the power of God in us, we all can be like Demetrius. Do you believe that? Right? I mean, I'm talking like regardless of what life throws at us. Because there's some good, the bad, the ugly, right? Life gets hard and then it kind of seems to get harder, right? But in the mighty name of Jesus, by the power of God within us, even if a Diotrephes is thrown right in front of you, have you ever had that happen, right? Come on. That's life, right? Oh, Diotrephes. Good morning. Regardless of what's thrown at you. I'm talking about even if things look dire. I mean, I'm talking about like dire, like you move to the Pacific Northwest and it rains for the next 30 days. See, 
even in those situations, by the power of God inside of you, you can still be victorious. You can still be an influencer for the kingdom of God. You can still be a Christian. Listen to this. Where people leave their time spent with you not defeated, not deflated, not discouraged, but they can leave their time with you encouraged, built up, supported because of your words and because of your actions, because of Christ in you, people can leave even with a good testimony about you. In fact, it reminds me of a quote by Frosty Westring. If you guys remember Frosty, he was the famous PLU football coach. He used to say this. He says, we don't have a great day. He says, we make it a great day. We don't have a great day. We make it a great day. Church, by the power of God inside of you, do you know what? You can make it a great day. Again, I would say this as I said it to the team in Ghana. You are more powerful than you realize. Your actions, your attitudes, your mindset, what you say, what you do, it all matters. And you can greatly affect your day. But listen to this. You can also greatly affect the day of those around you. In fact, I would say you will affect the days of those around you. But it will either be for good or for evil. Frosty Westring, by the way, is a great example of good. Like real good. Like he takes Demetrius to the next level. There's so many tributes on the internet, video tributes, articles written about Frosty. I, I want to read just some portions of an article that I found about him. This article was done by a reporter who actually lived in New, uh, in New York, uh, a reporter by the name Chuck Culpepper. This reporter, he flew out for three days in 2003, three days to spend time with Frosty and spend time with his team. Then Frosty, as many of you know, died in 2013. And so he wrote this piece, in memoriam. As I read it, I, I want you to remember that Frosty, he was just like the rest of us. It's hard sometimes when you look at people like that. Like, man, he must have had some kind of superpower, strength or superpower. You know, there must have been something going on there. Some Marvel comic juice got into him. But he, but he had no superpowers, church. What he had was Jesus. He had Christ. He had the supernatural power of God. The spirit of truth residing in him. And every day he made the decision to live by the spirit instead of the flesh. And because of his willingness to be a Gaius, to be a Demetrius, thousands upon thousands of people have been affected by his life. As I read this, and and I want to take some time reading this, I just want you to also hear and notice the profound effect that he had on this reporter. This is what he writes. He says, His players implored him to belly flop in a California hotel pool. And he complied at the age of 75. He once took a running plunge into the mud during a soppy game in Oregon. He adored when players pulled pranks on him. He insisted players use his first name, Frosty, and corrected them if they ever used the name Coach. He sometimes halted practice to have players spend five minutes gazing beyond the giant evergreens to Mount Rainier. He sometimes halted practice to have players go to other sporting fields and cheer on, say, the soccer team. He always halted two-a-day practices in August and instructed players to go help freshmen move into their dorms. Frosty believed deeply in singing. His players sang before games. They sang after games. Sometimes they sang to the direction of the coach's cane. For his 300th win in September 2003, an offensive lineman led the team in James Taylor's steamroller. During warm-ups for the NCAA Division III National Championship game in December 1999, right there on the field in Virginia, his players sang the 12 Days of Christmas. 
then proceeded to win 42 to 13. Can you imagine warming up on the other side then losing 42 to 13 to that? Then this is the report. This is what he says. He goes, during three of the best days of my career. Wow. Three of the best days of my career. Those in the company of him in Tacoma, Washington in 2003, Frosty requested that I join his players for supper in their dining hall. Three of them drove me in a pickup truck back to my car. Along the way, they sang leaving on a jet plane. Why the singing? I asked the coach. When you sing, he said, your consciousness is raised. Unless you think this guy is some left coast flake, let me hurl at you this biographical detail. Former drill instructor, United States Marine Corps. Did you know, this is what he says, he goes, did you know one of the most remarkable American coaches died on Friday? Did you know that Frosty Westring, who had 32 seasons at Pacific Lutheran without a losing record in any, who never mentioned playoffs or titles to his players, but won four national championships and four runner-up finishes on two different levels. Did you know that he died at 85, surrounded by his considerable family? And the writer says, please no, please, please no. An airline pilot wrote to the university president. He wrote because the Pacific Lutheran presence on his airplane had taken a routine day and whipped it into the memorable. The pilot wrote because Westring insisted his players respect other people's work. He wrote because this respect included rapt attention to the flight attendants, which in turn included a phenomenal sound that came when all of the players clicked their seatbelts in unison. He wrote because at the destination gate, the college football players had held back and they lined up on two sides in a go tunnel so that they could give high fives to the disembarking crew. A janitor wrote to the university president. He wrote because when he came upon Pacific Lutheran's visiting locker room, one post game in Portland. So this is a janitor in Portland. He found the chairs lined up in impeccable order. He wrote because he found the floors and the lockers completely free of the normal debris. He found a place that was almost spotless. He wrote because when he arrived in the room, he found a note on the whiteboard suggesting that he go home and join his wife by the Christmas tree. A man in a wheelchair came to the Afterglow, Afterglow, a Westering postgame concoction where a few hundred players, coaches and fans would gather in the bleachers. They might discuss the game. Players might thank the fans for support. Fans might thank the players for inspiration. Everyone would sing happy birthday to anyone who had a birthday that night. The Afterglow, it would happen after wins. But oh yes, the Afterglow would happen after losses because in Westering's mind, losing meant you had just completed the privilege of playing. On a weekday after the afterglow, Westering happened upon the man in the wheelchair and he invited him to practice. Soon after that, he made the man an assistant coach. And so John Nelson, a quadriplegic Singaporean-American, born with a debilitating condition and spinal cord problems, came to head up the freshman players. And they, in turn, had to take on responsibilities for his care, dressing him, helping him eat, helping him go to the bathroom. Do you suppose that taught them anything? By 2003, Nelson had lost count of the times he had appeared as a groomsman in the weddings of former players, reckoning the number beyond 10. He told of a road trip stop in Disney land where the players were determined to take him on a ride and so one player hugged him all the way through doctors thought nelson would have a tough time making it to 30 by 2003 he had made it to age 38 by his death in 2009 he had made it to age 44 at his memorial service frosty placed a jersey on his wheelchair
Westering had such stern rules. His players had to help up opponents during games on the premise that the privilege of playing could not occur without opponents. Troublemakers didn't have to run sprints. No, they were denied the honor of running. He knew that fear could motivate, but he thought that love could motivate for longer. So players badly in need of a scolding, badly in need of a put-down, instead would receive from Frosty what he called put-ups. And he mandated six put-ups per day. One put-up, called an attaway, a configuration of that away became a staple. He had players use it prolifically, including with hotel clerks, short order cooks, fast food clerks, custodial staffs, flight crews. They would use it even one day at practice after Frosty had some of uh, the women's volleyball players address the team after their recent and difficult victory over Puget Sound. Sometimes he'd serve popsicles at practice, root beer flavored ones during my visit. On wet days, they might engage in sliding competitions. Players never wore wore full gear until game days. They would suit up on Saturdays. They would sing, maybe even listen to some music professor that Frosty had invited to play drums for them on an upside-down bowl and plastic pitcher. But then the whistle would blow. The kickoff would go up. And the players would tell of this astonishing transformation where they would turn into hard, hard hard-hitting machines. It also included them helping people up after they'd hit them. Seasons would begin with a three-day getaway in which players bonded. Players didn't play football, but they'd apologize for any insufficient effort the prior season. And they sang and they sang and they sang. And the freshmen stood on chairs and they sang their high school fight songs unless they couldn't remember them, in which case they sang Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. (laughs) Seasons would end the way almost seasons end everywhere with a loss. But they would also end in a way that no seasons end with an afterglow. Or if they ended up winning, it also ended with an afterglow. Frosty also bought used cars. Always used, bought used cars. So in 2003, he drove me to the dining hall in his 1993 blue Oldsmobile. When we left one day for a speaking, or when he left one day for a speaking engagement, he offered me the use of his small office, which surely meant he wasn't cheating. When I returned to New York, A dear friend who does not follow college football, but who read my story, said something simple. He's a great man, my friend said. And then he finishes. A great man died on Friday. A great man also lived from 1927 until Friday. And while he lived, oh boy, was he alive. And our own Pastor Randy and Kathy knew Frosty. And church, I wanted to take the time to read that article because in the end, none of us stay here forever, right? I'm passing through, you're passing through, but what would be written about you if you died today? Because Frosty, the amazing thing about him and the amazing thing about his tributes, he never had a losing record while he was at PLU, 32 seasons. He won four national championships But in the end, church, that wasn't what was championed. That wasn't what was celebrated. What people remembered, it wasn't all the wins or the losses. What they remembered, it was him. Him, who he was, how he talked, how he walked, how he loved, how he lived. Jesus shined brightly through frosty westering. And as I was praying about this service, I was just asking God, God, would you show this church that they can do it. Can you just show them by your spirit that they can do this? They can be all that you have called them to be. 
That like Gaius, like Demetrius, like Frosty, they can make a difference in this world. They can bring joy. They can bring life. They can bring love into every situation, into every room, with every person that they encounter. Church, you can do this. And by the power of God that is inside of you because of Jesus Christ, you can shine Jesus to this world. But to get there, and God, don't you know, He wants all of us to get there. Today, there's a good chance there might be some attitudes, maybe some mindsets, maybe some words, maybe some actions that you need to give back to Jesus. Because like Diotrephes, these attitudes, these thoughts, these words, these actions, they are hindering your walk. They are not beneficial to you and they are not beneficial to your witness in this world. So I want to invite Micah and the team to come back up and we're going to sing one more song. But as we sing this song, I just would encourage us, this is a time for us to surrender in the Lord's presence, to surrender to Him. Because the wonderful news about today is your story isn't over, right? You're still around. You're here. You're breathing. You woke up this morning. You took up a spot. In these chairs, you are here this morning and God wants to use you. He wants you to be the salt of the earth. He wants you to be the light of the earth. God is here. God's presence is here. So let's give him permission for anything that is not of God, anything that is not from God. Let's give him permission to work in our lives. Ask him even to fill us up again. Fill us up again. Fill us to overflowing with His Holy Spirit so that we can be like Gaius, so we can be like Demetrius, we can be like Frosty, but most importantly, so we can be like Jesus. Jesus, who is still doing a good work in each one of us. He's not done with us yet, right? He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't left us. He's still faithful. And He's faithful, by the way, to complete the good work that He started in us. But allow Him today to continue that work so that we can love, so that we can encourage, so that we can shine, so that we can be a witness to this world, that we can love others with the same love that He has loved us. Amen. Would you?